0: Welcome. We are the Tulsa World Opinion Section. I'm Jenny Graham, the Editorial's Editor.
1: I'm Bob Bissett, Editorial Writer.
0: And we're going to talk a little bit about a column that Bob did this week, and it has to do with the tornadoes that hit last week. And Bob, I'm just going to ask you, you know, what inspired the column and and what were the points you were making?
1: Well, I remember Friday night, and I was just kind of going through Twitter just for time waster type of stuff, as we, as we do, and all of a sudden, there's a guy who I know who lives in Kentucky now, and he was posting um, some photographs of a tornado that was plowing through that part of the country right then. Now, December tornadoes happen. But just looking at the pictures, it's like, oh my goodness, this is just a huge wedge tornado. You know, we're talking, we're seeing this happen in a wintertime month. So a lot of the fears was that was going to be a tremendously damaging tornado, and it was. And then as we got to learn more about what happened with this tornado outbreak, it was almost two dozen tornadoes over four or five states. And this particular tornado some people are thinking it may have been on the ground for over 200 miles and just the and something else that struck me too is how fast it was moving and at times it was covering ground you know somewhere around 100 miles per hour and they had estimated that it was an f5 strength tornado so it's having you know 200 plus mile per hour winds in this massive cone of a of a storm. And it got me thinking back to the the worst storm I ever saw back in 1999 in the Oklahoma City area. You know, that one was on the ground for an hour and a half. It was moving a lot slower than what we saw in Kentucky. But it was a billion-dollar storm that did a tremendous amount of damage in a heavily populated area. 320 mile per hour winds, highest ever recorded. You know, it was just one of those things that was just kind of mind boggling. But that also happened during the heat of tornado season. You know, it happened in early May and that's what we have in this part of the country in the Great Plains, that's where we see the most severe weather occurring is, you know, April, May, June. This was December. And that kind of struck me as not just odd, but we need to look into this a little bit more. And as I started reading some more things about it and researching it a little bit, we were seeing the fact that Tornado Alley, as we know it, looks to be shifting east. So it's following a pattern of warmer, wetter conditions that are happening in the Eastern United States. On top of that, you're seeing other changes related to weather and climate that are occurring. Um, something that's called the Western Dry Line. Uh, something I learned about a couple of years ago reading something else, where there's sort of a dividing line in the middle of a continent between the humid, wetter east and the, and the drier west. And that dry line is moving slowly but surely further east across the Great Plains from Mexico all the way into the Canadian Arctic. And all of these things, plus you know, stronger, more intense hurricanes, um, extended wildfire seasons that are getting a lot more severe, uh, prolonged drought, we're talking three decades across the uh, Rocky Mountain West and the West Coast, these aren't just weather phenomena that are happening every now and then. They're showing patterns. And when you're talking about climate, you're looking at patterns, systemic patterns that occur. So what I'm seeing here is we are having some issues coming up with this. We are seeing more damaging storms. We're seeing more frequent and more intense coastal flooding. Um, All of these things point towards something to where we got to get past this debate of is this really occurring? Yes, it's happening. So the next thing is, is what are we going to do about it? And I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had uh, at a high level, policy-making type of uh, of level, so to speak. I'm tr- having trouble with words there, but you know, cities and counties, the states, and the federal government have to start talking about resiliency. We're We can't just let stuff like this happen with the systems that we have in place now, or we're going to continue to see, continue to be ravaged by these changes. So we can basically ask ourselves do we want to find a way to live within the system of our changing climate, or are we going to just continue getting smashed by it? And I would say, from the experience that we had last February with that massive cold snap that we had. The, uh, the outages that were experienced all across the all across the South particularly in Texas and the the cost that it's bringing up you know not just to governments and power systems but to people like you and me and everybody in our readership we're all going to pay for that but if this keeps happening again and again you know something's got to give.
0: Well and you mentioned resiliency and, and for me that definition has always been, you know, about something bad happened and bouncing back. We're gonna get back to where we started. But I think in this case, what you're talking about is not necessarily returning to the status quo, that we have to be resilient to move on, that in order to live our lives in the way that we're accustomed to, um, we're gonna have to find a new way to live. That may be better construction. It may be doing things we didn't, things that we are no longer able to do or just go about our daily lives in a different way but I also, I, I don't, like you were talking about the idea of, is climate change happening? I think right now we all agree it is because the argument was always, oh, well, you know, a cold temperature was set back in 1923 or a high on this day was back. You can always find these anomalies, but we, what you're talking about are these patterns now that we're seeing. Yes. New York is getting flooded and they don't have the infrastructure to have it. The, we saw with the tornadoes. They're hitting states that have never dealt with tornadoes to the degree that we have. And they certainly don't have the, the warning systems and that infrastructure. So the resiliency we're talking about, or I think you're talking about, is we're going to have to do some things different and better in order to survive. I mean, is that am I yes.
1: understanding um, that a
0: little better? Well,
1: but if you think about
0: it. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, so climate change is so huge to me. And I always kind of wonder if this mm-hmm. is the problem we've had. We're talking about global change. So, what do we as individuals do? What are our responsibilities? What can I do? It seems small.
1: Oh boy, that's a that's a issues. that's a good question. Um, because a lot of the stuff that people are being asked to do are ways to mitigate something like you know throwing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and that's fine. That's great. You know, it's good that we would. Start finding ways to capture carbon, you know, start stemming that kind of a thing. And people are working on that at a very high level and at a very international level. But that is, these are going to be the things that are going to help people down the road, probably after we're gone, because the changes that are occurring right now, they are not going to stop next year or 10 years from now or whatever. This is going to be the way things are for a while. So the difference between trying to make it better in the future and resiliency now is pretty stark. So as far as what an individual can do now, if you're, if you're gonna build a home, for example, and you're gonna be building it in a home that's a storm-prone area, um, you're gonna to wanna to look at things like a reinforced storm shelter. You're gonna to wanna to take a look at what your builders are thinking about doing in terms of how strong the house is constructed. Um, if you're looking at moving somewhere, uh, you're gonna need to pay attention to things like how secure is their, their water system? If you're living out West, that's gonna be a question because a lot of the things that are, a lot of the systems, a lot of the watersheds that provide large cities out West with the water that they need, they're drying up. Uh, if you're going to be living in a coastal area, Pay attention to that because places that are fine right now may not be fine in 10 years. They may be regularly hit by not just like storm surges, but just regular ocean surge, tidal surf, you know, tidal surges that cause flooding and things like that. So, These are going to be, and obviously from the individual standpoint, too, you're going to be wanting to take a look at uh, what policymakers are doing. You know, we need to start asking people these questions. If you're down in Texas and you're talking to your elected officials, you need to ask them, what are you doing to protect our power grid? Because what happened last February in Texas is unacceptable. You can't have people freezing to death in Houston or Brownsville or San Antonio. That's ridiculous. You know, so you need to talk to those people. It's not acceptable to say, we're going to go on the cheap because we, we just want to and then run away to uh, Cozumel when things get rough. Sorry, that doesn't cut it. So we need to demand a little bit more of our policymakers and really ask them, what are you doing? Uh, locally? What are you doing as a state? What are you doing federally to help deal with this? Because these problems are not going to go away.
0: Well, the emergency preparedness, certainly it's taking on a new shape now because our our utility companies are now talking about, well, we're going to pay for the freeze from February over the course of 25 years or 28 years or whatever it is. Well, we're going to have another freeze or two or 20 while we're paying off one storm. So right. at this point forward, my concern is how are we going to regulate and prepare for those energy needs when the next freeze happens or the next flood, tornado, whatever it is that disasters are coming? And that gets back to your resiliency, I think. When
1: well, but- you take a look at power grids uh, in northern states and in northern countries, places that are north of us, they experience cold, cold, uh, as severe or more so than what we saw in February as hard to believe as that might be it's true but their power systems don't tend to go out like ours did and certainly not like what happened in Texas so it's not going to be a type of thing where you you can't think of it in the average temperature in Austin is this therefore we don't need that weather is becoming more unpredictable as the climate changes. We are seeing these extremes of, it's gonna be a really hot summer, and that winter you might get blasted with negative 10. It might happen, and your systems, your power systems and whatnot, they have to be built in a way to withstand that. It's gonna be more expensive, but it does beat the heck out of having to, over and over again, rack up, basically what's turning into consumer utility debts us paying off the damage from the past, or paying for expensive, spiking natural gas prices from you know one two week event, we can't keep doing that. So we're going to have to find a way to mitigate that in the future. And it's going to be some tough conversations, but they have to happen. You know, otherwise, what are we going to be doing? You know, paying a hundred years worth of debts for spiking natural gas costs from, you know, another once in a hundred years freeze that's now happening every five to 10 years no that's not acceptable
0: well i found your column really interesting it's very well written and i hope that more tulsa world readers can can share it and and we'll continue that conversation so so i certainly appreciate it good job bob thanks
1: thank you